Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. I'm your host, Nolan Bicknell, and joining me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. Today on River City 360, we are continuing our coverage of Nourishing Potential, which is a great initiative in Winnipeg that's helping Winnipeg kids make healthy food choices. Our first guest today is CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation, Rick Frost. And since we're at the halfway point of the Nourishing Potential campaign that's spearheaded by Jonathan Taves, we'll ask him how the campaign is doing so far. Last week, Noah Ehrenberg, convener of Community News Commons, told us about a chilling article uh, that has been shared nearly 400 times and has reached thousands of people. He sits down with the author of the article, Vivian Ketchum, to learn more about the story. All this, some great tunes, and much more on today's episode of River City 360. When we come back, we'll hear from the CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation, Rick Frost, and he'll give us an update on how the Nourishing Potential campaign is doing at its halfway point. But first, as you know, we always like to start things off with some music. And here's Dion and the Belmonts, Wonder Why, right here on River City 360. Thank you for tuning in to River City 360 on this Sunday morning. Uh, we are now joined in studio by the CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation, Rick Frost. Rick, thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you. So you're a friend of the show, frequent guest. Uh, we wanted to have you on the program today since we're basically at the halfway point of the campaign that the Winnipeg Foundation is running in support of its Nourishing Potential Initiative. Right. Um, so I guess the f- first question, what are some of the highlights of the first half of the campaign so far? 
Well, certainly uh, the biggest highlight has been the big event we had at Wasak. Uh, Wasak is the uh, Winnipeg Aboriginal Sport Achievement Camp. It's right in the inner city at the old X grounds. Uh, we had about, um, I guess, 200 people or so there, uh, but a lot of uh, young people who are training to be leaders uh, for Wasac for the summer. And Jonathan Tave showed up, of course, and that was just a fabulous event. They were really enthusiastic and excited, and that's clearly the, the highlight of the first five weeks. Um, it's been great to have people coming into the office and, and making gifts and getting their picture taken in front of uh, the Jonathan Taves poster and Jonathan Taves uh, sweater and, and, and that sort of thing and being able to thank people personally for supporting the campaign. Um, it's four years we've been doing this now. This is the sort of the wrap-up, I suppose, of the fifth year in some senses, and, and it's just really nice to be able to talk to people who are supporting us. That's excellent. So how many people have now joined the Nourishing Potential team, and what does that mean for Winnipeg kids moving forward? I think um, I want to divide that between sort of the Jonathan Taves uh, campaign, I guess you could say, the last four, four or five weeks. Um, we've had 155 gifts, I think, the 154 gifts to be absolutely precise uh, <laughs> from from this morning's numbers, and that amounts to about sixty-five, sixty-six thousand dollars um, so the money is coming in. The people are, are participating at a rate of about 30 a week. Um, so that's kind of uh, the numbers that we're working with. We'd obviously, in the last five weeks, like to see those numbers go up a bit if we could. Uh, we're reaching out in different ways to people and trying to get them engaged. Uh, feeding kids and te- teaching kids about healthy choices, I think, is a broad community issue. Um, and this is one of the strategies that's trying to address it, and we're hoping to engage more people in it. There's been lots of opportunity to speak with some of the agencies at these events and people coming in to make their gifts. So I was just kind of wondering, um, have you heard any success stories or what have people been telling you when it comes to uh, what Nourishing Potential is doing in the community um, with, with specifically some of these agencies? Well, absolutely. First of all, we've been in 73 different agencies in, in uh, four years. So um, that's about $885,000 worth of grants. We'll hit a million dollars of grants by the end of the year. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's moving along very well. The success stories, uh, from my perspective, are more the unexpected things. I mean, we know they're teach, teaching kids about healthy choices. Uh, we know they're providing better foods because they've had augmented food budgets and that sort of thing. But I suppose the thing that caught my attention more than anything else was the food handler certificates. Kids getting um, training um, in food handling because not not just so much so they could you know um, help out at the at the local community center, but also I think it puts them in a better position to go get a job. Uh, maybe their first job um, in the community and a lot of the kids who are in these agencies you know jobs are important and having some competitive advantage like a food handler certificate can be really important and uh, certainly we've we've seen this in a large number of those 73 organizations where um, they're putting emphasis on giving these kids this uh, this this little, little little edge a competitive edge I think that's a really sort of side benefit of nourishing potential that I didn't really expect to see that was a, a pretty common we've had a lot of people on the show in the past three four five weeks that uh, benefited from nourishing potential and that was a, a consistent theme every single time we even had a a, a young man ca- that came through that same this same thing from fort white farms that uh he now knows how to he's got basically a leg up in the job industry because he's been working on a farm and he knows exactly where food comes from how to prepare it how to you know properly do things mm-hmm. and it, it it just really gives them one step ahead on, right. in That's the right. in the working world yeah great so how can our listeners support this very important initiative? Well, there's all the traditional ways. You can call into the Winnipeg Foundation's office, um, obviously go onto our website. 
Um, we're doing some new things this time. Um, I think I want to mention Assiniboine Credit Union. They've been a very strong uh, supporter of Nourishing Potential. Um, they're a lead sponsor of, of the program. And you can go to any of uh, Nourishing Potential, uh, rather any of the Assiniboine Credit Union branches, and make a gift there. So that's completely new for us. We've never done that before. And then we have this text campaign, which is a little bit different. Um, where you type in the word GOAL, G-O-A-L, and send it to the, text it to the number 45678, and um, you can make a $5 gift. It triggers a $5 gift on your phone bill. So it's a totally different kind of approach for us. We're experimenting with some of these things, a little different for the Winnipeg Foundation. But um, So there's different ways in which you can give the traditional ways. Of course, we're pleased to accept checks on all, on all the traditional things. That's great. So like you said, like Rick just said, uh, if you have a cell phone right now in your hand, you can either call uh, the foundation at 944-9474 and make a gift the traditional way, or you can text the word G-O-A-L. You can join Jonathan Taves and become a supporter of Nourishing Potential because it's an incredible initiative and it's it's really doing a great job in helping kids make healthy food choices right here in Winnipeg. So you can text the word GOAL, G-O-A-L, to 45678. Thank you very much, Rick Frost, for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Nolan, and thanks to Rick Frost, CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation, for sitting down with us. Coming up, Noah Ehrenberg sits down with citizen journalist Vivian Ketchum to talk about her recent story that got a lot of attention on Community News Commons. But first, here's Ride the Wild Surf by Jan and Dean right here on River City 360. In Hawaii, there's a place known as Waimea Bay, where the best surfers in the world come to stay. And ride the wild surf, they come to try, to conquer those waves some 30 feet high. Now is citizen reporter Vivian Ketchum, who recently published a story on Community News Commons. Vivian, can you tell us a little bit about that story? Uh, it was probably just maybe about a, a week ago that um, I left home for work, and one thing that was a little bit unusual, I left, I usually leave uh, home at a set time, but I was kind of like running a, about maybe about 
five or ten minutes late, and then I figured oh, I didn't have time for breakfast. So I was going to stop by Tim Hortons on um, Isabel, and then I noticed a woman on um, by the phone bo- by the phone booth there. And um, she, the one thing I did notice about her right away was that she didn't have any shoes. And then when I, w- and I went across the street, then I noticed that she was kind of leaning into the phone. And then that's when I noticed the blood on her legs. Hmm. And then um, I went up to ask her, are you okay? And I could just see she was, then I saw her face. Um, she, was, she, was, she was battered. She had a bl- um, blood running down her, her eye. There was a big lump on her forehead. Hmm. And then... Um, I said, I'm trying to call my mom. I'm, I'm, I need help. Mm. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try to help you. And then I realized how badly she was battered. And, that it, and then I realized that this is, um, she, was in, she was in a serious situation. And, and I didn't know that, realize that she was barefoot and she must have walked there from, and nobody helped her. And it was a busy work morning. Mm. And if she walked there, nobody helped her. Nobody noticed her oh or my. did notice her and didn't bother to help. So, so what did you do? First, I tried um, flagging people down. I'm, wa- I'm waving my arms around. Nobody stopped. And across the street was a Tim Horton. So I went in there, and I tried to ask, is there a cab driver in there? Because I did see a cab driver outside. And um, they just gone with me blank stares. And that, um, so I ran back out, and I went to make sure the woman was still, she was still hanging on to the phone. And um, I saw the cab driver leaving Tim Horton's, and that's when I stopped him. And I said, can you drive us to the hospital? And said, um, he said, you have cash? I said, I have, a, I have a debit card. This is a serious situation. We need to get to the emergency. He says, no, I, I want cash. Hmm. And he was, he was really getting me angry with hmm. his tone. He wanted, uh, he, he could see the woman must have been bleeding in that. Of course. So, and I said, okay, I have a debit card. There's an ATM machine. I'll pull out the... Um, so we, I managed to get the woman into the cab and we went to the ATM machine, which was probably just about a couple blocks. And then I went, and then the ATM machine was not working. So I tried to get the um, the clerk to um, do cash back, and he was really um, stubborn about it. And then right. I said, "Look, I've got an emergency situation there." And it's, and I realized after the way my tone of voice it sounded must have sounded like I was robbing the store. <laughs> I said, "I need cash back," and then. Um, the lady came up to him and she knew me from the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. And so she, after a couple of minutes of arguing with the guy, and then he finally gave me the cash back, and, which I, and then I ran out, and we went to the hospital after that. But it was just really, it, it, killed, it, it, it wasted a few minutes when I needed to get this woman to the hospital. Right, so you got her to the hospital? Yeah, and um, I, I, she was hanging on to me, and um, we, we walked in. And I got her to the um, triage desk, and then I can see the w- the way the nurses were running at us. This was serious. S- this was serious. Yes, for sure. Now you felt compelled to write a story about this on Community News yeah. Commons. Why? Mm. I think it's because the way it was in a public area, the woman was um, badly beaten. It was very visible that she was in distress. And um, nobody helped. I'm waving my arms around, and that I think th- when I was waving my arms around the corner there, trying to get help, I think I felt really isolated. I was getting angry, and I felt kind of scared. Hmm. I I don't like that feeling. Um, I've got an Aboriginal woman that's badly beaten. I'm trying to get help. Nobody's helping me. Nobody's stopping to ask me how we are. I think that that moment I felt scared frightened Hmm. and very angry at my city at the community 
So, and a lot of people saying, why didn't you call 911? Um, the woman didn't want me to call 911. Maybe because there's a trust issue with the police. Right. And I, I believe the response time could have been bad or mm. slow. And the woman was concerned that her attackers were nearby. And I thought it was, um, I, I did a, a figured get her to the hospital right away as soon as I can and worry about the police later. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why I probably wrote the article. So she had been attacked by several people. Yeah, she's given, um, she told me that um, she was stomped. Okay. And um, it was, uh, two, I think there was two men that stomped her. Hmm. She had a big lump on her head, uh, uh, black eye. Um, she was stomped until she was probably on the ground, and they kept kicking at her because I could see from the from she was um, bruised from from she I think she had no shoes on, so I could see one of her feet were badly bruised. There was bruises on her legs, yeah, blood on her legs, all the way up to her, up to her forehead. Oh my! So it was extensive. For sure. So um, after you wrote the story, what was the reaction? I think it went. It just picked up like amazingly. It was like first it was. I thought it, uh, maybe ten or people would would share it. Mm. I think it, right now it's over three hundred at, at, on your website, but mm-hmm. I think on other Aboriginal website it's even being shared even more. Mm. And I was reading some of the uh, the the um, the um, re- comments that were posted, and I find that about a lot of them were maybe about eighty percent Aboriginal women, mm. and they all shared the same sentiment as I did when I was standing on that corner that they were in similar situations, they were not being heard, and they knew exactly what I was feeling at that moment, and they've been there before. And that's, that's scary to find out that that many in, Aboriginal women were in that position. Maybe at one time they were abused, needed help, and they were not heard. You are listening to River City 360. That was citizen journalist Vivian Ketchum for Community News Commons. After the break, we will hear the rest of her chilling story. But first, here's a song. How about There's a Better Way by Dave Cause featuring Kebmo right here on River City 360. Therefore, you are in control. And everything is going to be all right. There is a better way.
were listening to River City 360, and now we return to the conclusion of Noah Ehrenberg's interview with citizen journalist Vivian Ketchum. So, uh, opening up this conversation, what do you think it's going to do for our community? Because obviously it has touched a nerve. You, there's been a lot of response to the story. A lot of people have commented on it. Yeah. What would you like Winnipeggers to be talking about when it comes to re- the reaction to this story? Yeah. Well, I don't think, um, I've been to a lot of vigils, unfortunately. A lot of um, organizations that we go to were about missing a murdered woman. And now I'm hearing a lot of um, leaders, our Aboriginal women leaders, like drummers, women drummers, saying, we've got to help ourselves. I think that's a sentiment that we're hearing now. We've tried asking for help. Uh, we've actually begged for help. The missing woman inquiry, our prime minister's not hearing us, so we've got to help ourselves. I think that's the sentiment that we're hearing. Nobody's going to help us. Hmm. I quickly found that out standing on the corner. Nobody is not going to help us out. We're going to have to do it ourselves. We can't count on um, the city, general public. It's us that have to do it, unfortunately. So a lot of people have congratulated you in the comments to this story for actually helping this woman who was in distress. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they look at it as something of a heroic type of response. Um, how do you, how do you characterize what you did that day? I think I'm returning a favor because uh, about maybe last fall I fell and I actually broke my ankle, and nobody helped me. And the the only one that person that came in to help me was a woman of the streets. She came across the street, and she stood with me to make sure I got into the taxi into the hospital. So I'm basically returning a favor. So there's another uh, um, woman that helped me, another woman that wasn't seen, not heard, mm-hmm. in the community that helped me. And so basically I'm returning the favor. Okay, one final question I have for you is that some uh, commentators and other people in the community are, are asking the question, why is there one response for Aboriginal women who are in distress and another response for non-Aboriginal women who are in distress mm-hmm. or have gone missing? I think because uh, you can go back as far as the um, residential school era, um, the government—it's government policy that we're seen as objects, we're not, um, we're to be used, discarded, and thrown away. Unfortunately, that's the sentiment, and I think that's something that has to be changed. For sure. Would you like to add anything else? Um, I never gave that woman my uh, my name. I when I. Um, it was heartbreaking when I was at with her at the hospital. She didn't want to phone the police. She was just trying to, she wanted her mom. She was begging for me. I kept calling her mom every 15 minutes on the house phone. And unfortunately, my phone, my cell phone is cracked. And when I was seeing her um, calling her, trying to get her mom, from, to call, I was trying to get a hold of her mom. I was picturing that, you know what? Maybe that was what the, a lot of those missing Aboriginal women's last moments were. I want my mom. Hmm. And that that that's sorry that really got to me. Hmm. I think I saw. I think maybe because I'm an Aboriginal woman that I saw her that way. I think that was really cheerful. That I want my mom. And so, like when I did get their family member, I never left my name or anything. I said, as long as she's fine, she's safe. You're connected with her. I can go home. Yeah. Do you have an update on her condition? Uh she's at home right now, and um, she's trying to recover. So. Um, 
I don't think she's contacted the police as of yet. Maybe she won't. And I wish the um, I wish there was more better policy at the hospital when the when this woman was battered. I don't think they followed through. So, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for your mm-hmm. uh, for your story yeah. and for your actions in this community. It's uh, a lot of people have appreciated it and have told you so on your uh, co- in the comments to the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And thank you for uh, talking to us about it and for writing on Community News Commons. Yeah, so there's a lot of um, a lot of my stories there. So it was I was kind of worried about I was kind of harsh at the end at the um, at the end of my story, but I think I was just writing with them um, a little bit of anger, and I was kind of worried that. But I think a lot of people re- reacted positively to the end of my stories. So, yes, I yeah. think they did. I think uh, I could see how you might be fearful of that, but uh, mm-hmm. as it turned out, uh, I think. Everybody felt at the end by the end of that story that uh, yeah. your 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 lines there were justified. Yeah, well, I, I pushed the envelope. I felt in this article. I'm yeah. usually n- not that harsh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, if you want to read more stories like that, uh, you just go to Community News Commons uh, org. Thank you for coming in today, Vivian. I really appreciate meeting you. Uh, enjoy the air conditioning. <laughs> Thank you, Noah, and thank you, Vivian, for sharing your story. If you'd like to read Vivian's story, as Noah said, you can go to communitynewscommons.org. And that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for listening, and a big thank you to all of our guests this week, Rick Frost and Vivian Ketchum. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, or if you want to listen to any of our past, I guess this is, this is episode 20, isn't it? This is the 20th episode so of River City 360. If you want to hear episodes 1 through 19, you can go to our website at rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with Community News Commons and CJNU 93.7 FM. Our listener line is open, so please give us a call. Uh, 204-944-9474, extension 290, and you can leave us a comment about this show, one of our past 19 shows, or even request a song or suggest a topic. I'm Nolan Bicknell for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.